So we are in the fourth week of Easter, and we are still in the scripture on the day of the resurrection. Um, we looked first at Mary as she met Jesus there in the garden with the stone rolled back, thought he was, this, thought he was the gardener until he spoke her name and she recognized him. Um, now we're walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus later that day. And of course, we remember that Jesus also appeared in the upper room to the rest of the disciples uh, and showed them his hands and his side. So we see Jesus appearing in lots of different places and in lots of different ways, um, in ways that our bodies, as they are presently constituted, uh, can't do. But Christ in his resurrected body can. He's often sort of hidden, or he doesn't let people recognize him until a certain moment. And um, so in all of these passages, I find them to be incredibly rich, um, incredibly powerful, incredibly full, and very personal. Um, The challenge is to, in a passage like that, figure out, okay, what is the thing that God wants us to hear, to listen to, to focus on, for this week. And um, just in case you don't get anything else the rest of the time, I'm going to give you the kind of the, the big pieces right now so that you can hopefully track a little better. So first, of course, we have the story itself. What happened as these two disciples who were from Emmaus and had gone to Jerusalem for the Passover feast and had also, because they knew Jesus, gone hoping that he would be the Messiah to save Israel, to redeem Israel, to restore the nation. But that didn't happen as they thought. And so they were on the road again. They were going back home, back to Emmaus. They're sad. They're downcast. And as they walk along, a stranger meets them, one they do not recognize. And they have conversation. And then they get into the scriptures together. And then at the end of the journey... The, the one that they don't know makes as if to continue on his way, but they say, no, no, stay and eat with us. And as the bread is broken, they, their eyes are open, they see Jesus, they recognize him, and he vanishes. At which point, it's dark. They get back on the road and go straight back to Jerusalem, going through the night fast as they can. They want to be with the other disciples and tell them what has happened. So there's the story. That's kind of the big first piece. But the, the thing I want also would like you to see and to recognize is that um, this story is a microcosm of your life. So your life is summarized right here. That's the second part. And then finally, I want you to see that worship too is a picture and a summary of what we experience in this passage, of what the disciples, the two, uh, Cleopas and the one who is not named, experience as they're walking back to Emmaus. Um, It is worship. Uh, A few people noted that, wait, are we having communion? It's not the first Sunday of the month. And, uh, and I haven't given any explanation for that, but we'll get to it in a minute. But maybe you can already guess why after hearing Dale read the story. So got it? The story, what happens, that's actually a microcosm of your life. And worship is sort of a summary of all of those things together. Um, 
So as we begin, uh, let's begin with prayer, and then we're going to talk about American Idol. It's our game. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this Easter season. Uh, when each morning uh, and the sun rising can remind us that you rose and make all things new each day, and that indeed you are making all things in heaven and on earth new, and that we can participate in that. We thank you that you meet us along the road of life, and you walk with us, and you journey with us, and you reveal yourself to us as we open the pages of the scriptures, and that you want us to invite you in so that we can feast with you and recognize you and know you and so that we can also be sent by you. So come and be with us now. Illumine us by your word and open our eyes at the table. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so American Idol. Um, anybody like American Idol? Watch American Idol. Even know what I'm talking about? Okay. Yep, singing competition. Um, I, I, I get too into and too interested in American Idol, and I'm trying to figure out in myself why is that. It's not because I have aspirations of being a singer, you know, that would be living, you know, a very confused existence on my part. But uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by just the, the way the show is laid out and some of the things that are implicit, some of the messages implicit within the format of it and the the envisioning of it and how it takes shape. And uh, there's a singer who's competing right now. He's 16 years old. I, I don't remember his name. Uh, and he is, um, he's, a, he's a country singer. And he sort of, I think he kind of fashions himself as sort of like a country outlaw kind of figure. He always wears his hat really low. You can barely see his eyes. He doesn't smile or at least tries hard, hard really, you know, really hard not to. Uh, he's being tough. He's 16, you know, and so he, he's singing a couple weeks ago, and the song that he performed uh, was by Willie Nelson, On the Road Again, so he's doing a cover of this song. I mean, anybody know that song, right? On the Road Again, and he sings, he does a great job. The lights come down. Um, he steps forward so that the judges can kind of evaluate his performance. Uh, Lionel Richie, Another singer for decades, I guess, he stands up because he he's very dramatic. He stands up and he says, on the road again. That was wonderful. Well done. He says, um, now how old are you again? He's 16. He says, have you ever been on the road? And he's like, no, sir. <laughs> and, and he says, well, if you keep singing like that, I think you're going to be on the road for a long, long time. Which I thought, you know, I mean, that was just well said, well crafted critique, pulling in the lyric of the song and all that. But what I was interested by was the fact that um, embedded in his encouragement, embedded in his positive critique of this young fellow singing, was the implicit notion that to really make it, that to really have come to a place sort of like a pinnacle of life to really to hit all the highest goals you might hope to achieve and actually all those that, you know, America kind of props up, fame and fortune and notoriety and excellence and all this. To really make it means that you aren't necessarily at home, but that you're out on the road with roots that don't go very deep. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be overly critical of being living a life on the road either. Um, Jesus did, right? I mean, he was an itinerant teacher. So, I, you know, we don't want to say that that's wrong. But I'm just interested in the fact that this is what is, was sort of valued and encouraged on the road again. Um, I think that this goes deep for us, deeper than we suspect and realize this vision of the light, the good life, the life where you make it is out wandering with freedom and opportunity and possibility. And you're always moving forward, forward, forward. Everything's always new, new, new. I think it's, it's deeply rooted in us. If you just look at the Americas generally, if you go back far enough, the Native Americans, many of them were nomadic, right? And so they moved from place to place, often following the herd. They're always moving forward. Um, if you look at many of our ancestors uh, coming from um, different continents, they hit the road, right? Well, I guess they, first they got in the ship. They hit the ocean, and then when they reached land, they also hit the road, um, piling into wagons, going west, Oregon Trail, Natchez Trace, all these kinds of things, part of our history. This kind of deeply rooted aspect of who we think we are has been romanticized in movies and film. Think about uh, the movies from 50 years ago. All the Western movies had a cowboy who rode into town and stayed there only long enough to save it. But at the end of every movie, what happens? He rides off into the sunset. He hits the road again. He's moving west where the sun declines. Everything a possibility. Every landing spot actually just a stepping stone. It's deeply rooted in us. Move west, young man. That sticks with us. Um, you know, culturally speaking, but, but now rather than riding a Mustang into town and into the sunset, we see commercials with Ford Mustangs with the top rolled back on the freeway on a road with no one else riding off into where? The sunset. I mean, it's still with us. If we didn't value it, Ford wouldn't use it to get us to buy stuff. Instead of the Mustang... Instead of the Conestoga wagon moving out into the distance, we now have RVs where you just take home with you on the road. And home is where you are, but it's always up ahead where you're going. There's a book, and I guess a, a group of writers, kind of um, 50s, 60s, a uh, group of poets called the, the Beatnik Poets was sort of their name. Um, a guy named Jack Kerouac writes a book called On the Road. On the Road, On the Road Again, all this stuff. Anybody know that book? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember reading it in college and just being so drawn to the apparent freedom of everything laid out in front of you. These two characters would travel all around and they'd end up in a spot and maybe this is it, but it's never, ever, ever it. There's always something else ahead. You're always moving forward. And you never quite arrive. This is not just a physical thing for us. We talk about our lives as journeys. It's a metaphor. Uh, the, the journey of life. We talk about our spiritual lives as journeys. Um, I was in conversation with someone at the wedding that I was officiating last weekend. And 
um, talked about his spiritual journey, that he'd stopped it for a while, but now he picked it back up. Um, a spiritual movement into the future, a, free, a sense of freedom with no real ties. And so I think we've sort of em- embraced this attitude of just kind of always wandering but never arriving. And because we get that intuitively, um, just because of where we live and the culture we reside in, I think we can actually kind of get where the two disciples, Cleopas and the unnamed one, are as they are on the road again. Because they had set out on the road initially to get to Jerusalem. And they thought, well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the moment. Maybe this is the time when Jesus, the Messiah, comes and sets all things right and redeems Israel. We're going to go for the Passover and celebrate. And this will be the moment. But just like Jack Kerouac's characters, they got to that place, but it wasn't the place either. It wasn't the moment either. It wasn't the home they were waiting for. And so they hit the road again, and they're going back in another direction. I think we can get that because we too um, know what it means to always be on the move. You know, some people, this isn't just about where you live. I know many of us have deep roots here. And and family histories in this physical place, right? In this county, in the mountains. Um, But a lot of people kind of move job to job. Thinking the next one will be the one that makes them happy. Or or a lot of people move relationship to relationship and think that the next one is actually going to be the one that I'm going to arrive in the place where I think I'm going. But life just continues to unfold and you're on the road again and on the road again. We substitute all manner of things. Uh, for this arrival that we never quite make. Um, And so as these disciples are are making their way, we can join them. Uh, And as we join them, we can also be confronted by the stranger who meets us along the way, the one we don't recognize. Now, a stranger is a symbol of the unknown. It's possibility be a foe possibility it could be a friend it's a person who embodies the fact that we don't actually know how to integrate this person into our life yet we have to figure this out there's there's something um, beyond us about this other figure and so naturally the person comes and a stranger comes one they do not recognize comes to them and to us as we make our way and asks us a question which is again something that we have not yet grappled with or know how to answer It's a part of our lives that we don't have the ability to grasp yet. Or it's a question that we have not yet answered. And so as they come upon this stranger, he asks them a question. And the question, I don't know if you caught this or not, stops them dead in their tracks. They're walking. And this question called them to stand still the text says. That means that got their attention, didn't it? The stranger says, what are you talking about? Of course, Jesus knows what they're talking about. He asked the question because he knew it would bring them to a standstill. Now, there are probably questions in your life that you can fill in into the blank here. Uh, Let's just use, I mean, last March, there was a question on the horizon. It was called COVID-19. We did not know how to 
how to understand this thing yet. We didn't know how bad it was going to be or how mild it was going to be. We didn't know if there was a possibility of getting well from it or if it was going to wreak devastation. It was something that as we moved along the journey of life, confronted the world and effectively brought us to a standstill. Caused us to stop everything, didn't it? So we know kind of what that's like, but, but you in your own life personally have also encountered some things that have brought you to a standstill. Questions asked of you. Realities that confront you that you don't know, yet know how to handle. Um, the loss of a job. A friendship that falls apart. A diagnosis. Um, a, a death of a loved one. I don't know what it is, but there are things that we face, questions that come we weren't expecting, we don't know how to integrate, that bring us to a standstill, that make us stop in our tracks. Ultimately, all of these questions are little questions that, can, that are really drawn up into the bigger question that looms. And that question that is asked of us, that mystery that stands before us, that confronts us, is the question of death. You know, when the disciple, when he asked the disciples, what are you talking about? What do they tell him? Jesus died. It's the question of death. I was, uh, I'm rereading a book called Loris, um, 2014 or 13, something like that, it won the uh, Russian National Big Book of the Year Award. Doesn't mean it's just big, I don't know why I called it that, but it's a, it's a great novel, fictional account uh, set centuries ago of a Russian saint. And in this story, we meet uh, first this person's grandfather. The grandfather's name is Christopher, uh, which means Christ-bearer. And in the novel, uh, Christopher has just turned 70. And this is set centuries ago, so that is quite old for that, that time period. Christopher, at his birthday, goes to one of the elders, so one of the monks at a local monastery, and says, I've just turned 70. What should I do? The elder looks at him, kind of looks at him up and down, and says, you seem pretty lanky and cumbersome. I would not have to want to, want to, uh, I would not want to have to carry you from your home to the cemetery, I recommend that you move close to the cemetery. <laughs> okay, well, at which point he does. He moves and literally moves next door to the cemetery. It's a question about death, isn't it? So he moves in. His family starts to come to visit him on a regular basis. Arsenyi, his grandson, the one who becomes a saint, comes to visit him. Now, Christopher was a man who... Um, uh, uh, was a doctor of sorts. People would come to him, tell them what was wrong with them, and he would work a remedy together. He would take uh, different um, uh, medicinal plants and create medicines and, and treat them. Uh, and, and so he would take Arsenyi out into the woods, and they would gather plants, and he was identifying different plants and herbs and telling them what it was useful for. And then Arsenyi, four years old, asks Christopher a question that stops him in his tracks. It comes almost out of nowhere. In the book, as you're reading, it's like, stops you as well. He says, Grandfather, what is death? And in the book, he literally stops. All of the questions that we ask, all of the questions that confront us, that we don't know how to grapple with, that we don't know how to integrate into our lives, are kind of versions, many versions of that question. 
And so Jesus comes and he asks us as we make the journey, as we are confronted by things that stop us in our tracks, what are you talking about? What are you thinking about? What's on your mind? What's on your heart? And they tell him about Jesus who was crucified. The one died that we thought would bring us back. And what Jesus does next, I think, is instructive for each of us. He begins with a little rebuke. Did you catch that? Um, he chides them, but gently. He says, oh, you of little faith. Didn't you know that the Messiah had to be handed over and suffer and die and then be raised up again? It's according to the scriptures. And then he, the next thing he does is he begins to open up the Bible to them. And if you were here last week or heard Wally last week, this is what Wally's saying. Life confronts us with questions that we don't know how to answer. The world conf uh, confronts us with implicit images of what the good life looks like. And those impact us in ways we don't always see. Wally was saying, if you want to know how to live, if you want to know what is true, open up the pages of the Scriptures. And I think Wally's in pretty good standing because it's exactly what Jesus does when he meets the disciples on their journey back to Emmaus. Jesus could have immediately caused them to recognize him, couldn't he? But that wasn't what he chose to do. He chose to walk them through the whole Old Testament. It says the book of Moses... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all the writings of the prophets, and he shows them why and how these things must take place. And so that question begins to gain an answer. What is death? We perhaps could say many things about that, but at least now we can say this. Death is that which has been conquered by Jesus. We can at least say death is that which Jesus has entered into ahead of us and overcome. Um, death is that thing over which Christ Jesus has emerged victorious. We can say that. We can say that. It's Easter, right? We can say that much. And so as they continue to walk, as they continue to move along this journey towards the setting sun, towards the end of day, as the night begins to fall, Jesus, although they still don't recognize him, begins to walk away. And, and he's acting as if well, he doesn't really want to, but he's going to keep going unless they invite him in. And they do. They do. At some point, you can hear the answer to the question, the big question or the little questions, over and over again, but Jesus is not going to force himself upon you. He's not going to say, I will be the answer for your life, whether you like it or not. Jesus, God, respects our freedom, the freedom with which he made us. And he desires for you to desire him. So at a certain point, you have to say, no, don't keep going. You who have walked with me faithfully thus far, don't keep, but come and sit down with me. Let's sit at the table. Let's be joined together. And what happens? He says, yes, okay. And they sit at the table. And the exact same words are used in the passage here describing the meal 
as the words that were used describing the meal that Jesus had with all the disciples in the upper room the night of his arrest and before his death. It says that he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it. And when that happened, their eyes were opened and they recognized the Lord. At which point he vanishes. And they said, didn't our hearts burn within us when he opened the words of the scriptures to us? They knew who it was. They knew it was Christ. And though it was still dark, kind of like Mary that morning in the dark, right? They get up and they go back to Jerusalem. They hit the road again, but this time change transformed different. That's the story of your life's journey. Of Jesus who shows up and walks with you. And maybe at first you don't recognize him. But over time, he leads you further into the scriptures if you're willing to go. And over time, the questions that loom in your life find their resolution in him. The one who's conquered death. The one who says, don't fear the world, I've overcome it. Um, Over time, he's not just a walking companion, but one with whom you feast one with whom you eat, one who lives within you, who burns within your heart. It's also what happens in worship. Um, And very quickly, to get here today to worship, we all went on a journey, didn't we? You left your house. You hit the road again, and you came here. And as we began worship, you also received a little rebuke. Did you catch it? Just a little bit of chiding. We need to confess our sin. We need to do that. And after we did that, Jesus, who meets us in our midst, led us into the Scriptures and and begins to illumine us by His Word. And that Word naturally leads us to a table. Now here's something I'm increasingly convicted of. This isn't up to me. It's It's up to our session. I'm not saying that to put them on the spot at all. We've had conversations about this. But maybe one day, think about it. If this passage is a picture of worship for us and the culmination of that, the moment when our eyes are open, the, the, high, the pinnacle of the whole thing is when we break bread and feast with Christ. Isn't it interesting that three out of four Sundays, it's kind of like we don't invite Jesus to the table. We just let him go his way. We just let him tell us about the scriptures, but we don't actually feast together. Three out of four, just the first Sunday of the month, we do that. Um, So I'm putting that forward as a question that confronts us, and maybe together we can wonder, well, might we want to feast with Jesus more frequently? I don't know. Um, So maybe that can be a prayer request. We'll see what God does with that. But this morning, I couldn't read this passage and preach on this passage and not go to the table. Good grief. (laughs) I couldn't do it. So the table's set, and all are invited And um, Christ is waiting. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.